All right. Well, good morning, Eastview Christian Church. To those of you watching online, to those of you in person, happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you. I want to just first off say a big thank you to all the families out there that have a loved one that has served and sacrificed for our country. We're remembering you, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you during this weekend. Yeah, we can clap. Sure. Well, one of the things I love about this time of year is the fact that it's getting warmer out. Uh, probably no thanks to the past couple days, but it's getting warmer out and it's starting to remind me of summer. And summer was a big deal growing up. I, our, our family grew up in a cul-de-sac, and if any of you guys have ever lived in a cul-de-sac, like the cul-de-sac is where things happen, all right? It's where the kids come to play. All right, so I remember growing up and all of these different things that we would do, we'd play kick the can, we'd play ghosts in the graveyard, we'd play kickball, we'd play wiffle ball. It's like summer nights happened, we had dinner with our families, and then the evening really started with games. And I remember one of the times we were out playing, all the neighborhood kids were out, and I was out there too, and I remember that I was out there and I was just taking some practice swings. I think we were about to play wiffle ball or some sort of baseball game, and so I had my metal bat, and I was out there swinging, taking practice swings with all the kids running around. Maybe you're starting to pick up what happens here. <laughs> uh, it's actually funny because the, the family that something happens to actually comes to church here, so they'll remember this story. <laughs> um, so I'm out there, and I'm taking practice swings, and one of the neighborhood kids, I think I'm in grade school, junior high age, so I'm taking practice swings, and this kid that is just across the street, he's running around, and I'm not really paying attention as I'm taking these swings, and I mean, I'm slowly warming up and taking them, and I don't realize that he is running around, and he decides to run right behind me as I'm taking swings, and I'm not, I remember the sound, I remember the sound, and I take a full swing, and I just connect in the back swing. And it sounds like my bat just hit a rock. And I, I am automatically turn around, and there's a kid on the ground, and blood is everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And, and so I remember that uh, he had to be rushed to the hospital. I hit him right above the eye, right above the eye, which is you know, where lots of blood can come out there, I guess. And he ended up getting a ton of stitches. And I remember, though, that later that night, we had heard he was okay. He had made it back home after all of these stitches in his eye. And I I sat down with my mom. She sat me down in the living room. She was not happy. (laughs) And she's like, what were you thinking? I'm like, what was he thinking? I'm here taking swings, and he decides to run right behind me. And she's like, no, that's not how it's going to go. She's like, you're going to march over there, and you're going to go, and you're going to apologize. And I'm like, well, that's bad enough in itself. It's humiliating. She's like, no, that's not it. She's like, I know you love Pokemon. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to your Pokemon cards, and I want you to get your best one, and I want you to give it to him. I'm like, well, I didn't do anything. And she's like, no, you're going to do it, because I know he likes Pokemon, and that's going to be, you're going to apologize, and you're going to give him one of your best cards. So I was upset, all right? I march over there, I give it to him, I'm like, here, sorry, right? 
Now, I, I remember that time, and I know my mom was trying to teach me a lesson. She's just trying to teach me that sometimes, in order to really change your heart, you need to give up something of your best. Now, I think of that story, and I'm like, I don't know if my heart was really changed. <laughs> I was pretty angry. But over time, I realized, and I, I remember this moment that my mom was just teaching me. It's like, if you give up your best, it changes your heart. And that's the thing. We don't like giving up our best things. We like to keep those things for ourselves. And for me, especially if it wasn't my own fault. Just kidding. It was definitely my fault. I wasn't <laughs> paying attention. But this morning, I think God has something to say about us giving up our best. And that's going to be in the passage this morning in Leviticus chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and open up, that's where we're going to be, Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 15. And the context here is where the people of God, they're in the wilderness, and it's harvest season. Now, harvest season actually happened around this time of year. This harvest, which was most often wheat, would have actually been around this time. Think late May to mid-June. That was the climate in early Palestine, and that's when the harvest would be happening. But as God often does throughout Scripture, he always has a way with things. And in this time with the harvest, the people of God were going to be called to a celebration that came with it. But during this celebration, God was going to ask of the people to do something for him. He was going to ask them to give of their best. So let's read this passage this morning, Leviticus 23, starting in verse 15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. Let me pray for us this morning. God, it's, it's good to be together. It's good to gather, whether in person or online. And God, this morning, as we talk about this idea of first fruits and harvest, I pray that you have a word for us, that you would soften the hearts of those listening, that you would speak your word and your truth to your people. God, would you get me out of the way so that your glory can be proclaimed, that the good news of Jesus can be heard so God, I pray for the message that goes forth this morning. Would you be with everyone here and online and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, this celebration that we see here in Leviticus chapter 23 is known as, as different things. A lot of your Bibles, if you're in the ESV version, you probably see that it's called the Feast of Weeks. And there was an emphasis on the weeks part, right? It, it says in here that you're supposed to count seven weeks until this celebration happens. And it, it's not surprising that the, the number seven comes up here again, because you'll see throughout Scripture that seven actually often refers to complete. It's the complete number. And so God always has a purpose with things. And so you count seven weeks and you get to this moment where you'll read in this passage that before this, the people in responding to the harvest, before they counted the seven weeks, they'd come and they'd bring the first fruits of their crops to the priest. And the priest would take the first fruits, he'd take the first of the crop and he'd wave it before the Lord. He'd, he'd wave it in the air like he just don't care. I'm just kidding, he'd probably care, because if he didn't, he'd probably die. <laughs> but he'd wave this offering, and then on the 50th day after that, the entire people of God, they'd gather together and they'd celebrate the Lord's harvest, the Lord's provision that he had provided all of these crops. And so, other names for this celebration may also have been the Feast of the Harvest, or what I want to focus on today is the Day of First Fruits. Now, why this celebration as we study together throughout the journey through Exodus and Leviticus, there seems to be many ways in which the Lord calls the people of God to offer sacrifices, to present offerings, to take time off of their labor. But why this specific celebration? Well, there's two reasons that I think this celebration was. Two purposes for this. Number one, it was to acknowledge the Lord as the provider of all the crops. And number two, it was to acknowledge the Lord as the one deserving of the first fruit. So first, the day of the first fruits was a day where the people of God, they'd acknowledge that he's the provider of everything. If you were to go to verse nine in this passage, it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. It's because of the Lord that the people of God had a harvest to reap. Now, some of you may be saying, like, this is just a classic farming situation. All right, this is just basic science. You plant, it grows, you harvest. What's the Lord have to do with any of this? Well, if you think about it, it isn't just the harvest that the Lord has provided up until this point for the people of Israel. You can just go back through our journey in Exodus and you can see numerous times where the Lord has provided for the people. One, he, he, he provided literal freedom for the people of God by freeing them from Egypt. Two, he provided a way. He provided a way through the Red Sea by splitting it. He provided manna from heaven. And as, as these past seven weeks have gone, we, we've studied that he provided a way for him to be present amongst an unholy people through the tabernacle. And so I would not be hesitant to say that this harvest of crops does not happen without the Lord. They don't get here to this harvest without first being freed. Yet sometimes, I think this is what we forget to acknowledge as Christ followers. We get so used to the blessings so used to the blessings we have that we forget to acknowledge the one that actually gave it to us. Can I just ask in this room today or online, has the Lord ever provided for you? 
Has the Lord provided for you in any way? Because if he has, then I would contend that he calls you and calls us to acknowledge him as the provider. We have a message that we, we push every day in EC students all the time. And it's that phrase, every day. We preach and we teach that our faith, that our Christ-following journey, it's not just a Sunday thing, it's an everyday thing. And we're pretty good with gratitude in the big things, when God does big things in our life. But are we good with the everyday small things? That applies to acknowledging the Lord as provider every day. And in some moments, we can easily forget all that God has given. In the moments where toddlers are screaming, where a spouse is unloading, where a dog is peeing in the house, where a car is breaking down. Now, I'm not quite in that life stage yet, but I heard that stuff happens from time to time. In those everyday moments, what would it look like as a body of believers that instead to react out of what's happening in that moment, but to respond first with gratitude and praise that God provided something? It changed the initial response or reaction when we just want to, I mean, just go at our toddler or go at a spouse or go at the dog. It would change it. It would change our attitude. It would really change our hearts. You see, the people of God, they needed to continually remind themselves that it was the Lord who provided because if they did not get that continual reminder, they'd get complacent. Or they start saying, well, we're, God's not providing anything. And in those moments where they get complacent or they complain about not having things, they'd start to walk away from the provider because they'd think, well, we're just doing this all by ourselves. And they'd walk away from the Lord that provides. And that never happens in the Old Testament, does it? But here's the other thing with this. The Lord didn't just want them to acknowledge he was the provider. He wanted them to acknowledge that he was the one deserving of the first fruit, the very best. You see, there's a response that comes with the provision of God. There's always something that falls into the system of God and us that says, I give you, I bless you, so therefore you give me your best. You give me your first. Because I have given you all of these things, therefore I want the best from you. I want the first from you. In verse 17 of this passage, the Lord says that from this harvest, flour would be baked as the first fruits of this harvest. And when the people of God, they'd harvest their wheat, they'd bring the first fruits. They'd bring the best of the crop, the very first part of it, and they'd give it to the Lord. And so the second command from the Lord led the people of God to know that he's not just the provider, but that he's deserving and worthy of our best. Proverbs 3.9 says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. So with that, I ask another question of Eastview Christian Church. If you believe that the Lord has provided everything you need, do you consistently bring him your best? Because if the Lord has provided a way in your life, he deserves the first fruits of your life. But for some of us, I think we tend to leave the scraps. Scraps of my time, scraps of my energy, scraps of my resources. Oh, if I just find time sometime throughout the day, then I'll get to my Bible, but we'll see. 
oh, I, I, I didn't really have time to pray today. I'll, I'll just save it for right before I go to bed and we fall asleep at dear God. Or we've been saving up for this new truck or this new screened-in porch. So whatever money's left over after we've spent money on that, then we'll give that to the tithe. Or we say, I'm gonna flee from this sin or I'm gonna flee from that sin, but, but only when it's convenient. Do you hear that? It's scraps. The God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who sent his son Jesus to die for me, he deserves my best. He deserves the first fruits, not the scraps. So maybe something needs to change where no longer it's my job getting the best of my time, my energy, my resources. No longer is it my TV getting the best of my time, energy, and resources. No longer is it my American dream. The Lord should get the first fruits. Maybe that means now first thing in the morning, as a first fruit to the Lord, God, you get that time. The very first thing. Maybe for a lot of us, you know, the morning is not my best. And so maybe that's another time. Listen, you're, 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 I'm preaching to myself here that the morning is not my best. All right. In college, my teammates would always say, don't talk to Zach in the morning. I also remember that my roommate and I, we had a rule. We had a rule every morning that said the first 20 minutes doesn't count. <laughs> what that meant was whatever was said in the first 20 minutes from waking up, listen, we didn't mean it. Didn't mean it. We were just tired. But also, I think sometimes I use that excuse that I'm not a morning person to not give that first fruit to the Lord. And so I, myself, need to get better at that. Maybe as a first fruit to the Lord, it's, it's time to start giving the first 10% of every paycheck to the Lord as a first fruit. And maybe for some of us as a first fruit to the Lord, it's actually taking a step, an intentional step of cutting out the distraction causing you to stumble in sin instead of just when it's convenient. Whatever it may be, I would urge that based on this passage, the Lord is asking for the first fruits of your life. Why? Because the Lord gave you his first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all that have fallen asleep. Christ was the very first one that would be resurrected for the dead, but that meant that all of us now that choose to believe in him now get to experience resurrected life in him. That because God sent his son Jesus as the first fruits, we might experience new life. And some of you in here, you, you're still thinking back to that first question where he asked, has the Lord provided in any way in your life? And you're like, ah, I don't know. There's something for you. That, that Jesus would be our first fruits, that God gave us his very best by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross that we might experience resurrected life in him. The first fruit of God's love, Jesus, it compels us to give of my best, to give of my first fruit. I would say right there, boom, there's a good enough sermon in itself. But I've got a little more time. So I want to take us and move us to an idea of this celebration of first fruits, and I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction. Something incredible about the Lord is even after Jesus came, even after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, God didn't stop giving us fruit. He didn't stop. 
There's another way that the Feast of Weeks or the day of the first fruits is described in Scripture. Do you know what it is? In fact, it's, it's celebrated in a very famous scene in the New Testament. A scene where the first fruits of the Lord take on a new meaning. A scene where the first fruits of the Lord actually cause a revival. Do you know another word for the day of the first fruits? Pentecost. Pentecost. The celebration of Pentecost was actually this celebration of the Feast of Weeks, the day of the first fruits. So, as I've often done with our high school students, as we've been in the Old Testament and we're trying to go and flash forward to a scene from the New Testament, I basically say, okay, we're going to flash forward thousands of years and we're going to go to this new scene that I want you to picture. And this time it's not around a harvest, but this time it's in a room and 120 people are gathered in here and they're celebrating the day of first fruits. They're celebrating the Feast of Weeks. A lot of them have probably brought the first fruits of their crops. And so if you go to Acts 2, we see the day of Pentecost. And this time, the priest isn't doing any waving. Something different happens here on the Feast of Weeks, the day of the first fruits, Pentecost. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, proselytes, Cretans and Arabians? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, ah, they're just filled with new wine. Now this time, there's no priests waving a sheaf. There's no bloody sacrifices on an altar. This time, during the Feast of Weeks celebration, when the people of God acknowledge that he's the provider, that he's deserving of the first fruits, that he gives everything, the Lord again provides a gift and it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. You thought the first fruits of Jesus was enough to compel you to give your best. Now try the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.23 says, And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await adoption as sons. Not only is Jesus God's first fruits to us, but so is the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, he brought the first fruits of resurrected life, a, a promise that life does not end here on earth, but that life will last eternal, and the darkness that you're in right now is not your story. Now, the Holy Spirit brings a different kind of first fruit. Now, that resurrected power lives in you. And now, you have a helper and a healer that changes you to look more like Jesus. So, I ask again of Eastview, of our congregation, of Christ's followers, that the Lord has provided his first fruits through the power of the Holy Spirit, are you giving him your best? 
In another way, I would say this, your best should be revealing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, who changes us to look more like Jesus, to reveal the love of Jesus, we see what miraculous power really looks like. And let me tell you, you'll see it. You'll see it when you reveal the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, power for a student who has been plagued by a drug addiction to say, I want to get baptized. Power for a student who was an atheist is now a leader in our ministry and wants to go into ministry and be a pastor. Power for a student who has been plagued by suicidal thoughts this year to be celebrating a graduation and planning a dream career. (laughs) Stories like that happen all the time down the hall, by the way. They happen all the time because someone in their life said, I want to reveal what the Lord is doing in my life to you. We see this power during Pentecost too. Everyone begins to speak in different languages. It's crazy. The Jews are hearing about the miraculous works of God from pretty much every language that spans across ancient Rome. But do you see the reaction? You see the reaction? They're, they're quite bewildered. And that's not surprising. I don't think they were expecting this in their Sunday morning worship for things to go this crazy. But there's two reactions I see when the first fruits of the Holy Spirit become a reality. If you look in verse 12 there, it says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But there's also another reaction of others saying, ah, they're just filled with new wine. You see, there's two reactions that come here when the Holy Spirit moves in the lives of the apostles. One is a curiosity toward a miraculous phenomenon. What is this? But there's also a reaction of, oh, they're just drunk. And it's interesting because when the first fruits of the Spirit become evident in our lives, I don't think the reactions are far off today. I don't think the reactions are far off. I think the world often looks at a Christ follower and either says, why are they like that? What does that mean? Or they look at a Christ follower and say, they're crazy drunk on some fairy tale. And as we talk about how the first fruits of the Holy Spirit during miraculous work in our lives, that it should compel us to to reveal the fruits of the Spirit, to live boldly for the Lord, how come we don't often offer our first fruits? And if I can be honest with us for a second, if I can be honest, I think we as Christians become scared of the second reaction. Ah, they're just crazy drunk on some idea that isn't true. I don't know, I I might be off on this, but I think the world is trying harder and harder to make it so we don't see a way to reveal the work of Jesus and trying harder and harder to show it's not worth it to reveal that. But can I ask church this morning, if Christ truly is the first fruits of those that have been given new life, If we have the first fruits of the Spirit working miracles in my life every day, is it not worth revealing the work of Jesus in my life to someone and some saying, I'm crazy, so that others might say, what does that mean? Why are you like that? Jesus didn't shy away from it. It says in Mark 3, 21, that his own family thought he was crazy. 
Paul even gets at this too, which is just a powerful word. He says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, for if we, the apostles, are beside ourselves, it's for God. But if we're in our right mind, this is for you. In other words, if I'm crazy, then I'll be crazy for my God. But if I'm telling the truth, boy, do I have a word for you. Which is a word for those of you that maybe are watching online or that are here in person that have not yet been sold on this Jesus thing. That a story of the Holy Spirit coming like fire, it, it sounds like a weird cult thing. That your reaction to all of this is probably, well, this is just some new wine everybody's sipping. Can I just offer a suggestion? What if this were true? What if this were true? What if instead of assuming everyone's drunk on this is a fairy tale, what if you ask, well, okay, what does this mean? Because I would contend that those that approach the gospel with that sort of attitude will always find what they're looking for. Because God is faithful in that. The first fruits of the Holy Spirit can do a miraculous work. And if you give the Lord your first fruits, watch what God will do with them. Well, there's evidence with this church in Acts of what happens when the apostles give their first fruits. We get to see the first fruits of the church. If you were just to flip over to verse 36 through 41, you see that everyone around here, this crowd of people is asking, what in the world is going on? And Peter preaches to them and tells them about the good news of Jesus, and they're compelled. They're, they're softened to this gospel message, and so they're like, what do we do? And he tells them, hey, Go and be baptized. Give your life to Jesus. And the first fruits of the church, our Christian heritage, means that about 3,000 non-believers that heard about Jesus came to faith and gave their life to him. They saw what happened when people allowed the Holy Spirit, Jesus' grace, to invade lives, and they wanted in on it. But what was so irresistible is what was said in verse 39. Verse 39 says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, something radical happened on Pentecost. Something happened to where 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. What in the world could that have been? This was the first time they'd heard a Gentile could receive salvation. This was the first time they heard that if you're not a Jew, you can still be saved by the grace of Jesus. And what blew my mind this week in connecting Leviticus and Acts was the truth that this was always the heart from the Lord from the very beginning. He always had a heart for the outsider. And if you don't believe me, just flip right back over to Leviticus 23, verse 22. I didn't touch on this verse yet because I wanted to get to this in the end here. Even in the midst of a celebration that was distinctly and specifically for the people of Israel and their harvest, God still had outsiders in mind. Leviticus 23:22, did you catch it? And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. When you receive the blessings I have given you, don't keep them to yourself, because I've got a plan. 
Y'all, we believe in a God that always has and always will welcome the outcast, the one who feels far off, the one who feels alone, the one who is neck deep in sin and shame, the one who feels abandoned. When God offered his first fruits, he made it so anyone, no matter what they've done or who they are, that they could experience it. And let me tell you, everyone in here, that's everyone's first fruit story in here who have been changed by Jesus, that he would welcome the outsider, that he would welcome the one in sin and shame and brokenness and abandonment. That's every first fruits story. So what does this mean for us as Christ followers? It means number one, don't keep the harvest to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. The first fruits of Jesus and the Holy Spirit compel us to not just give our first fruits to God, but to share it with others. This morning, we're going to talk about this, but our dollar offering is back. And this morning, we're going to give a chance to just demonstrate this tangibly by giving the first fruits of all that God has done this year and just saying, you know what, this first dollar, this is for the Lord and watch what he will do with it. For those of you in here that, or are watching online that haven't accepted Jesus yet as your personal Lord and Savior, can I offer that if this were true, if Jesus truly is the first fruits of those that are raised to new life, if the Holy Spirit truly is the first fruits of resurrected power living in me, wouldn't you wanna just know what that's about? Maybe ask, what does this mean? Experience a miracle. I'll end with this. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, but we ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. Yes, God gave us his best through Jesus, his first fruits. He gave the Spirit his first fruits of resurrected power. But what's crazy is, is that he calls us his best. He calls us his first fruits. You are the first fruits to be saved because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life by the power of the resurrected Jesus. That truth, it changes every part of us. It compels me to want to give my best to the Lord because he gave me his absolute best. That God can take the broken, the dirty, the messy parts of me and call us his very best. May we in turn offer our first fruits in hopeful gratitude of what God can do. Amen.